Please join me in the last chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. I invite you to take your Bibles and follow along. So far in our little series here in the Gospel of Matthew, we've looked at the betrayals, how Judas betrayed Jesus, giving him up to the authorities so that they would know who he is. He did so with a kiss. We looked at the betrayals of the religious leaders who had the word of God that foretold the Messiah and Jesus fulfilled so much of it in his life on the earth that they should have seen that indeed Jesus is the Messiah. We saw the betrayal of Peter who being very close to Jesus denied him very adamantly. We looked at the crucifixion, the horrors of our sin on display, on the the beaten, battered, crucified, and killed Son of Man. Last week we looked at the different miracles that took place at the time of Jesus' death. How the the, the earthquakes and the, the rending of the veil, the temple curtain being torn in two so that uh, the, the holy place of God that had been forever separated from mankind was now open. Why? Because Jesus had fulfilled his sacrifice. He was buried, fulfilling scripture even in that, being buried in a rich man's tomb. And today, resurrection morning, Matthew chapter 28, please follow along as I begin in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Fathers, we've now read two gospel accounts of that first morning we see a a common theme as all the gospel writers recorded that these women, these first people to to go to be at the tomb and discover that it's empty, these these women didn't go with an expectation of hope. They continued in their mourning. Fathers, we see that with the other disciples as well. That even though Jesus told them quite plainly and frequently 
that he would be killed and that he would be buried and that on the third day he would rise again, they still didn't get it. Father, lest we look down on them for their disbelief and their doubt, Lord, forgive us for the many ways that we fail to trust the promises of your word. Father, rather, help us to recognize not where they started the day, but where they ended. They started the day in mourning and hopelessness, and they ended with great hope. Father, I pray that you would change our hearts this morning as well. Lord, please guide my words. Open our hearts. Use your spirit to give us understanding of your word. Help us to not only know it, but live it. For his name's sake, amen. Our big idea this morning is God gives us hope for Jesus is alive. Do you read the news or watch the news? Maybe do that less. But it's it's good to know what's going on in the world. It's not good to bathe ourselves in it, to let those words simmer in our minds. Because if we were to do that, what would we think? The world is falling apart. Everything is a disaster. There is no hope. But I don't care what disease ravages the land or what nation invades another nation or spies on another nation or how many times some madman goes on a rampage. Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still coming back for his own as promised in his word. The setting of our passage in verse 1, it's, after the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. Um, In the Jewish reckoning of time, uh, they would see the day starting at sunset, what we would call the night before. And that actually comes from Genesis. You read the creation account of Genesis, and and God uh, did his creative acts, and what does it say? And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The, The Hebrew reckoning of time starts at sunset. Now, that's very foreign to us. But what's happening here is they've gone through the Sabbath. Jesus rested on the Sabbath. Do you get that picture? I mean, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. uh, But that's terribly significant. God created the the earth and all that's in the universe in six days. And what did he do on the seventh? He rested. Jesus did his work. And what did he do on the Sabbath? He rested in the grave. More of that some other day. Jesus had died just hours before the start of the Sabbath. Remember, they had to get the body down and buried before sunset because the Sabbath started on at sunset. And so uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, as we read in other passages, helped him and got him buried, but they had not had time to properly prepare the body. So uh, the, the next day being the Sabbath, no one could do anything. The work was prohibited. They couldn't even walk very far on the Sabbath. And so this is now the first opportunity that the ladies have to come 
and properly care for Jesus' body. They returned to the tomb for this very unenviable yet very loving task. These are the women who were mentioned back in verse 61 of chapter 27. They were standing afar off watching the, res- watching the crucifixion. They were there by the tomb as Jesus was being buried. And now that the Sabbath has completed, it's now Sunday morning. Remember, Sunday morning starts at sunset on Saturday night, but sunset on Saturday night is not a good time to go and do some work. They didn't exactly have floodlights. And so they wait. And before dawn, they come to the tomb. They should have expected the tomb to be empty. Right? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus taught his followers from this time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Killed on Friday, in the grave Saturday, third day Sunday, he's raised. He told them very specifically, third day. Chapter later, Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man, speaking of himself, is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed, is how the verse ends. It means they only really listened to the first part of the message, saying that he was going to be taken and killed. He said he was going to be raised on the third day. That shouldn't have distressed them. That should have had them sitting on edge going, oh, this is going to be a show. Let's get the popcorn out. Right? Shouldn't they have been sitting by the tomb just waiting? Again, Matthew chapter 20. So a a few chapters later, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18. Jesus is speaking. He says, see, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Just Matthew records three separate times that Jesus told them, I'm going to be raised on the third day. I'm going to be raised on the third day. I'm going to be raised on the third day doesn't mean he only said it three times. It means that Matthew recorded it three separate times. So why didn't they fully understand? Why did they not come to the tomb with expectation that he would be alive? So they come to the tomb at the first available time. Couldn't prepare the body on Saturday on the Sabbath. So now as dawn is approaching, they come to the tomb knowing that it's sealed off by a great big stone and guarded by soldiers. So they don't know what they're going to do. So they waited. 
Can you imagine what that Sabbath was like for them? The Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest. It was supposed to be a day of worshiping God and not working. That's how God designed it. And it's what he commanded his people to do. Every Saturday, you worship and rest. Give yourself that reset. Work six days, that's fine. Rest the Sabbath. I don't think that Sabbath was very restful for them. I think they were very distressed. I think they were very anxious. I think they were very sad. So they wait until dawn to go to the tomb, and here's what they found. Verse 2. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. They expect a sealed tomb. Instead, they find it open with an angel appearing like lightning. (laughs) We have all sorts of special effects. We could actually visualize that. We can pull up some picture or video of someone that might look like that. This was unusual. This was not normal. They recognize that this was an angelic being. And for fear, verse 4, for fear of this angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. It startled them. It shocked them so much they passed out. So the women... Again, they're coming to the tomb in order to uh, finalize preparing the body, clean the body, wrap the body, so that Jesus' body can have its final resting place. And instead, the soldiers who they expected to be standing in their way were just laying on the ground and an angel sitting on the stone beside an open tomb. Just as the birth of Christ was announced by angels proclaiming good news to the most unlikely people, so also the resurrection was heralded by angels to the most unlikely of people. Both angelic messages began with, do not be afraid. Remember, uh, we, we remember this at Christmas time. The angels appeared to the shepherds, and the, the angels' first words have to be, Don't be afraid. Why? Because angels are terrifying. They can be. They can also appear just as regular people, but they're very terrifying. Where are the disciples? Shouldn't the disciples be taking care of their master? They were likely in that upper room where they had the last meal with Jesus. This room had been set aside and was ready for them. Um, Again, this was at a feast of the Jews, so all of Israel had come into Jerusalem. It was a very packed place. It's most likely that they were in the one spot that they had available for them. Whether they were there or not, we don't know. Here's what we do know. They weren't at the tomb. These are the ones that Jesus had spent years, literally years, teaching them over and over all these things that would happen showing them who he was by turning water into wine, by healing the sick, by raising the dead. Remember Lazarus, who had been dead for four days? And Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came walking out of the grave. These men who had been with Jesus for these years of Jesus' ministry were hiding 
They were not at, at the tomb anticipating the resurrection. They were not out telling people about Jesus and his miracles and his teaching. They were living hopelessly. But see, God gives us hope for Jesus is alive. They should have had hope because they had the knowledge, right? What I find fascinating, condemningly fascinating, is that the Pharisees understood Jesus' claim. Do you remember this from last week? The end of uh, chapter 27, uh, beginning in verse 63. Yeah, the Pharisees have gone to Pilate. They say, sir, we remember how that this imposter said while he was alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. The Pharisees were like, just in case. (laughs) He told people he was going to rise on the third day, so just in case, let's make sure that they can't fake it. The Pharisees understood Jesus' claim, yet the disciples didn't seem to get it. Sorrow and fear had so consumed them that none of them at this point had remembered his words about the resurrection. Verses 8 and 9, we see the women departing from the tomb. The angel has told them Jesus is alive. They've seen the empty tomb. They've gone in, they've seen that Jesus is not there, and they're going to go tell the disciples. Verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them. Said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. John records this same moment with more details. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 13. The angel said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So more happened than than what Matthew records. They've seen the empty tomb. They realize Jesus is gone, but they still, still don't get it quite yet. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. God gives us hope because Jesus is alive, and he proved it not just by giving us an empty tomb to look at. The empty tomb is important, don't get me wrong. The empty tomb just means he's not there. And that's what the the ladies originally thought was, okay, he's gone. Even though the angel said he's, he's alive, he's not here, they still didn't quite get it until they conversed with Jesus. The empty tomb is is important, but it's not ultimate. If all we had was the empty tomb and not actually uh, physical accounts of people meeting with Jesus, we would still have so many questions and so much uncertainty. The empty tomb was important, but it's not enough. The angel's message was important, but it was not enough. 
seeing Jesus face to face. That's what convinced the women. And they go and tell the disciples. The disciples come and check it out for themselves. Peter and John race to the tomb. You can see them kind of arguing. (laughs) No, I'm going in first. I'm going in first. I'm going in first. And they see the folded grave clothes. See, Jesus didn't just come alive and stammer out of the, the grave like Lazarus did. He was gone. Left the grave clothes behind. The empty tomb was important. The angel's message was important. But Jesus had to prove it. And so he did. It's the living Jesus that makes all the difference. It made all the difference to them. It makes all the difference to us. The evidence of the resurrection is the living Christ. So he revealed himself to Mary. He revealed himself to some disciples. Luke chapter 24 records this as they're uh, walking on the road to Emmaus, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. He walks along with these two disciples and doesn't reveal who he is until their conversation is over. Fascinating story. Read it this afternoon, Luke chapter 24. He revealed himself to these followers of Jesus Christ. He later revealed himself to his close followers, to his disciples. But who did he not reveal himself to? Who did he leave in the dark? Well, the religious leaders. I mean, the chief priests, who actually had a prophecy that there would be one who would be sacrificed for the whole There would be the one who would be sacrificed for account of all people. He actually prophesied Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and didn't believe. And Jesus didn't reveal himself to the chief priests. He didn't reveal himself to the religious hierarchy. Remember this trial that took place in the courtyard of the high priest? He didn't go back to those people. He didn't go back there to prove himself. See, I told you. Instead, he went back to those who believe. Back to our passage, verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And Jesus did meet with them several times. Paul records a summary of these meetings, so that will help us keep it quick. He records a summary of these meetings in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, He also appeared to me. Jesus appeared to many, many people in those 40 days between Easter Sunday and the Ascension. Just as the first witnesses were charged with telling others, remember his message to the women, go and tell the disciples. Just as they were charged with telling others, we too carry on that command. 
Just like those first witnesses, we don't repeat the message for the sake of sharing news. We repeat the message because Jesus has changed our lives. Because he is living today. God gives us hope for Jesus is alive. One more verse and we'll close. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is not found in wishes. Our hope is based on the fact that Jesus is alive. Yes, the empty tomb demonstrated it. Yes, the message of the angels proclaimed it. But the one that sticks, Jesus met with many of his followers, proving that he was alive. He proved it. And those disciples believed it and held that truth so dearly that many of them lost their lives for it. When given a chance to say, no, it's a lie, Jesus really didn't raise from the dead, many of his disciples said, no, I actually saw him. He was alive, and they were put to death for it. Some of them even crucified similar to Jesus because they would not recant. They would not retract their message that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. He has given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When you understand who you are, that you are a sinner. When I understood that I was a sinner, I was a young child, and I'm thankful for that blessing. I'm thankful for growing up in a home that taught me what it meant to be a believer in Jesus Christ, that Yes, I needed to clean my room, but cleaning my room and obeying my mom and dad didn't make me right with God. It's only believing in Jesus Christ who willingly paid for my sins that I could come to know Jesus as my Savior. When we understand who we are, born sinners who live out sinful lifestyles in all sorts of ways, when we compare ourselves to Jesus' righteousness and not the unrighteousness of the world around us, when we see our need and put our faith in Jesus for our salvation, we have what Peter calls here in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, a living hope. Is your hope in the living Christ? Or are you like the followers of Jesus were that Sunday morning not knowing what had happened, living in misery, living in despair. Is your hope in the living Christ? Or are you swayed by the troubles of this world? There are plenty of troubles in the world and they're only going to get worse. But when you have your hope in Jesus, all those things matter less doesn't mean they go away. It just means that they matter less. Because our Savior is alive. 
And he's promised to bring us to new life when this age is over. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for our living Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you that he lived a perfect life as God the Son being fully God and being fully man. I thank you that, that he fulfilled all these promises from the Old Testament. He filled so all these prophecies that he made himself, how he would be unfairly tried, unfairly found guilty, that he would be charged with death, and that he would rise again. Because he is alive, because that tomb is empty, because uh, all the witnesses that, that spoke to him, that interacted with him, that shared meals with him after his resurrection, we have great confidence in knowing that our Savior is alive and that the promises that still pertain to us, that he's coming again, that he will receive us into his heaven, that all these promises are true. So Father, for those who are here today who have never really put their faith and trust in Jesus, they've, they've heard the stories, but they're still trusting in their own good works to be, to be good enough in your eyes. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes. Open their eyes to the fact that the only way that they can be made right is not by doing good works, but by having the blood of Jesus applied to their account. And by faith, they would receive that gift of salvation. For those of us who are believers, Lord, refresh us today. Renew our hope today. Because, Father, we need it. We live in an age of increasing evil. We live in an age of increasing pain. If our hope was found in world peace, if our hope was found in the next great medicine, then how pathetic would we be? But our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And though we will still endure many hardships, though we will still endure suffering, though unless the Lord comes first, we will endure death, Jesus is alive and has promised us that when we put our faith and hope in him, that we too will live forever. Father, thank you for this good news. Help us to know it, to proclaim it, and to live it. In Jesus' name.